the vital way. With ancient wisdom meets the cutting edge to optimize your vitality and performance. There are no right ways, just better ways. Welcome to the Vital Way Podcast. I'm Logan Christopher with Superman Herbs, and I'm very excited for the call today. Uh, today we have Dr. William Wong. He's a PhD, a classical naturopath, and exercise physiologist, sports medicine trainer. He's been inducted into the Martial Arts Hall of Fame and a whole bunch more. He has over 27 years of professional experience and is a leader in the use of systemic enzyme therapy. And today we're going to be talking about some anti-aging and pro-sexual topics. So thanks for doing this, Dr. Wong. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on board. Absolutely. So I was just going through your website and collecting some of the information for the bio, and it was interesting on the questions there. What is the difference between a classical naturopath and a naturopathic physician? Uh, naturopathic physicians <clears throat> have gotten to use surgery and sometimes prescribed drugs. They have the they have prescriptive authority in whatever states they are licensed in. Classical naturopaths stay away from the drugs. And while minor and artificial surgery has always been part of naturopathic, we don't do anything more than maybe remove a mole or uh, whatever else. Uh, uh, naturopaths have, have gotten into delivering babies, doing C-sections, and a few other things in mm-hmm. certain states, uh, especially in Oregon. Uh, and, and that was, was not really part of naturopathic practice when it was conceived by Dr. Lust. Ah, very interesting. So it's much more of a full-on natural approach. Yeah, it, it, and, and it's, a, it's a philosophical split, and the philosophical split we see in, in, in chiropractic between the straight chiropractors and the, and the, and the, and the whole spine chiropractors and, and the various different uh, 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 health professions actually commit suicide <laughs> because they, 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 they turn into religions and they, they, they sort of kind of get philosophically alienated from, from one another, and they, they forget that, that we all forget that basically we're talking about the same thing, but we're, we differ around the edges, and uh, there's a lot of bad blood between the traditional naturopaths and the naturopathic physicians, but overall we're talking the same thing. We, we, we just differ around the edges. Right. Well, we're all trying to help people get healthier, right? Exactly. Okay. Well, the, the first time I ever heard about you was with the idea of systemic enzymes, and I'd like to go into detail on that a little bit. So can you tell people what those are and why they're so important for health? Sure. Enzymes are biocatalysts. They are things that help other things to work. <clears throat> we have, a, we, we make about four to six different proteolytic protein-eating enzymes in our pancreas. Those enzymes, in turn, spark 25 to 35,000 different enzymatic reactions that speed up all chemistry. Chemis- chemical reactions work very, very slowly. Everything we do inside of us to keep us going and to keep us working is a chemical reaction. If, uh, for example, it would take you a half an hour to bend your elbow, a half an hour to do a bicep curl, or about maybe 10 minutes to bat your eyelid if you had to blink without the enzymes. Hmm. So the enzymes speed up everything, all the chemical reactions, and make life as we know it possible. Now, uh, most people think of enzymes just in terms of digestion, but enzyme, digestion is the very last thing a proteolytic enzyme does before it gets excreted from the body. It goes into this en- enzymatic cascade, <clears throat> and in general, 
the, 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 the protein-eating enzymes have four or five different very important functions. First and foremost, they are anti-inflammatory. They eat away at inflammatory cytokines. They eat away at the CICs, the circulating immune complexes, that cause inflammation. Now, why that's important is because the other two mechanisms for controlling inflammation, you, via the use of corticosteroids, that has severe side effects, or via the use of the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, that can kill your kidneys, kill your liver, make your intestines bleed, and likewise send you to the grave. Typically, every year, mm-hmm. uh, since aspirin has been around, between 18 to 22,000 Americans die from taking aspirin, ibuprofen, naproxen, Vioxx, Celebrex, uh, all of the COX-1 and the COX-2 inhibitors. Uh, it used to be said back in the 19, late 1990s when the COX-2s first came out that they had no side effects. That was a lie. Uh, either that or the eggheads who'd, who, who, who developed it didn't know their physiology as, much, as well as they thought they did because the COX-2 drugs have turned out to be just as dangerous, if not faster in being dangerous, than the COX-1 drugs. So... Uh, the, when we control inflammation through eating away at what causes inflammation, it's a heck of a lot safer than trying to make the body stop producing the inflammatory complexes. The second thing that enzymes do is, and I think the, the most important, it eats fibrosis. There's nothing on God's green earth that eats fibrosis and scar tissue. We are all taught in anatomy in school that fibrosis is actually what kills us. The process of dying is this. We go from irritation to inflammation, from inf- inflammation to induration, to hardening, and the hardening is due to fibrosis, and then from induration to death. That's the process of dying. We can affect the process in, in two different places via the use of systemic enzymes. We can affect it at the inflammation stage, and we can affect it at the scar tissue stage. The body, as it ages, lays down scar tissue in all of our internal organs, our, all, of our, all of our hollow organs, the, the kidneys, the lungs, all begin to fill up with scar tissue, with fibrosis. We see as we age that our joints begin to get covered with fibrosis and it limits our range of motion. Uh, as we age, our uh, blood vessels get clogged with fibrosis. The microcirculation gets, gets clogged. and you'll, you'll, you'll hear gals constantly saying that their feet are cold, their hands are cold. <clears throat> the uh, uh, macro circulation, the ar- arteries get, get, get clogged up. You have a, an, an inflammation in a major blood vessel, and then all of a sudden that inflammation causes a lattice work of fibrin to be laid across where the inflammation was or is, and then on that lattice work, on that matrix, accrue the fat, the heavy metals, and the calcium that we know is arterial plaque. So, uh, since fibrosis is what kills us all, if we can control the inflammation and we can control the fibrosis, we've extended our, our lifespan. The other things that enzymes do very well is that they act as immune modulators. If your immune system is down too far, it'll crank it up. If your immune system is cranked up too far, it'll help to downshift it. The enzymes act as blood cleaners. The blood gets thickened by several things. First of all, dehydration. But in a person who is not dehydrated, if they have thickened blood, it's because they have too much fibrin floating in their blood. Their adhesion molecules, uh, there are too many of those causing everything to be sticky. Then they have too much necrotic debris. They have too much stuff that, that the liver can't deal with 
dead cells and, and stuff that the body's trying to get rid of that the liver can't deal with the first time the blood goes through the, the liver with that with that junk, let's call it garbage. <clears throat> and uh, it just keeps on going through until the liver can eventually use the enzymes to break it down and send it into the bowel for disposal. If we put in the enzymes, then the enzymes get absorbed into the system, get absorbed into the bloodstream. The enzymes eat away at all that dead debris, saving the liver the trouble of having to deal with it. It goes from, uh, from the liver into the bowel, and boom, it goes out. The enzymes also lice away, eat away at the fibrin, the excesses of fibrin, that uh, uh, cause the, uh, uh, both the blood to be thick. And think about this. When you're a young person and you cut yourself, <clears throat> you heal that cut with a perfectly invisible scar. You can't see where the, where the wound was. What happens is you get older and you cut yourself. That cut gets thick because the body lays too much fibrin down because it, it from like age 27 on, you make less and less and less enzymes. I'm sorry, I should have explained that to begin with. We make a finite amount of enzymes in a lifetime. We use half of them up by the time we're 25. By the time we're 27, our body figures out that if we keep up at this rate, we will be dead by the time we're 40 because once you make your last drop of proteolytic enzyme, three days later, you're stone cold dead. So uh, the body begins to dole out enzymes with an eyedropper instead of with a tablespoon like it used to, and that's when all the aches and pains set in. Most everybody's aches and pains set in from their old injuries between 30 and 35. Old age physiologically begins at 27. All the textbooks tell us that. So uh, as we lay in more fibrin, as we make more fibrin, as we have more fibrin floating around because we make less enzymes, then our wounds get thicker, uh, the fibrin gets deposited in our bloodstreams and in our, in, our, in our livers and our kidneys and so on and so forth, and begins to degrade life. This is a natural process. Nature doesn't want us to, live, to, to be here forever. It, uh, uh, death and de- decay is actually a natural process. <clears throat> but we, we want to fight it for as long as we can. Uh, I mean, even Jack Elaine passed away, but we, we, we want to keep it at bay for as long as we can and uh, 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 stay as healthy as we can for as long as we can. And the enzymes are an integral part. Those five functions are key to maintaining a longer, healthier life. It won't keep you alive forever, but you will be healthier, stronger, and much more able for longer in your existence. Right. So you, you mentioned the these are different than digestive enzymes, which I'm sure most people are more familiar with. Um, besides taking the uh, systemic enzymes in a supplemental form, which you can talk about as well, is there a way to, you know, add these, you know, get them from your diet or anything like that, or is it only in this supplemental way that it can really achieve these sort of benefits? If you had the ability to do what Dr. Patricia Bragg does. Dr. Bragg's a friend of mine. And every morning she goes out into her garden, whether she's here in the States or down under or in Hawaii, she goes into her garden and picks the fruit and vegetables she's going to have for breakfast. Picks them, eats them right there. She's Mm -hmm. getting the enzymes. The rest of us, give you an example. You pick an orange from a tree. When you, the second you pick the orange, it's got 100% of the enzymes alive that you'll find in in an orange. Put that orange on the kitchen counter for half an hour, 30 minutes, 
and the enzyme level has died off to 50%. So since most of us get food that has been in cold storage transported from God knows where, when it's not in season here, it comes from the, from the southern hemisphere. Uh, so it's been in argon, gas, and cold storage transported several thousand miles. Is there any life left in that food at all, even if it's organic? Is there, are there any enzymes left there at all? And the answer is no. So if you could fresh pick your food, eat it instantly, yes, you'd get a good bit of the enzymes. The rest of us have to supplement. And what about uh, fermented foods? Because I know those have enzymes in it, and many of those, they should still be living, right? Yes, yes. Uh, the enzymes in soy sauce, the enzymes in the fermented foods, those are good. But they're, it, it, it's like trying to undo, let, let's say you've taken antibiotics and you've got a yeast infection, and you try to undo mm-hmm. the, the, the yeast infection just by eating yogurt. You can't eat enough yogurt to get enough probiotics to undo the yeast infection because there's just not enough probiotics in the food to fight off the yeast infection and to recolonize you with good bacteria. You've got to take extra. You've got a megadose, which means you've got a supplement. Likewise, uh, we, can, we, 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 we can eat the miso. We, we can eat the, 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 the soy sauce. We can do, eat all the foods that have the, the enzymes in them. But after 40, and ain't enough. Okay, really good to know. So uh, is our systemic enzymes, would you say that's your number one recommended thing for the vast majority of people out there? Well, yeah, because, uh, <clears throat> see, and this is one thing that I didn't touch on, all vitamins and all minerals are coenzymes. They don't work unless you've got the enzymes in there. Why do some people do so well on vitamin and mineral supplementation and some folks don't get squat? You know, Now, we know that there are a lot of products out there that don't have nothing in them. The, the, unfortunately, the industry is really nasty. There's some pretty nasty people in the, in the nutritional industry, as I'm sure you've met some. And they, they, they're lying on, the, on their label, and they haven't been caught yet. But there really are a good number of folks out there who get nothing from the vitamin and mineral supplementation. And the reason for that is, is that since all vitamins and minerals are coenzymes and cofactors, they need the proteolytic enzymes in there first so that they can act on the enzymes, or rather the enzymes can help them act and uh, complete the chain, so to speak, to get the reaction needed to have the vitamin actually do something. Right. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So if you take enzymes, you get more of these enzymes than any of the other supplements you take, your body's going to better be able to utilize them. In exactly, cases, yes. You can even use them at all. But right. Okay. Now, one other thing, over and above <clears throat> actual uh, biochemical function Anything taken at the same time with, with a proteolytic enzyme, for example, if you take a, a, a teaspoon of herbs and a, an enzyme capsule, anything taken with a proteolytic enzyme is increased in its absorption by at least 50%. Wow. This is an old pharmacological trick. Back in the uh, 1930s and 40s, docs used to do this all the time. You, you'd mix a medicine with an enzyme, and its absorption would be increased and you could actually lower the dose of the medicine because you're getting more of it in. The Germans and the Japanese and the Indians still do this with their antibiotics. They mix antibiotics with seropeptidase or with pancreatin to improve absorption, and it works marvelously. Wow, very cool. Definitely going to have to try that out. 
So I'd like to uh, switch gears a little bit. Uh, one of the reasons I was excited to get you on the call, I was listening to a, a different interview with you a little while ago with Mike Mahler, and uh, you guys were talking about male hormone health and yeah. specifically uh, erections and sexual function. And I, I've been playing around with that, this idea in my mind, like, okay, obviously we know that testosterone is an important part, but in order to have erections, there's, there's a couple different aspects, and you basically just laid it out on the line. There's four components that really need to be good. You need the testosterone, you need the dopamine, you need nitric oxide, and then PD5, which is another enzyme that needs to be inhibited. Could you go exactly. into a little more detail on how you can sure. together with this concept, how it all works? You know, we've hit upon this piecemeal. The, the protestosterone movement started in the late 90s, <clears throat> with a hell of a lot of resistance from from medicine, even from some docs in anti-aging, because of all the scare tactics that folks had, had, had put in about anabolic steroids, and folks didn't really realize that anabolic steroids and testosterone are very, very different. Uh, basically, an anabolic steroid has half of a testosterone function. It is purely anabolic. It is not androgenic. When we take testosterone, most of us, yeah, the anabolic function is re- really cool. I get to maintain my body easier. But we want the sexual function thing. That's what we're looking for. We want to have woodies again. We want to wake up in the morning with an erection. We want to be able to make love whenever we, we want to. So we all started off thinking, yeah, we put in the testosterone, the erections will happen. Well, it did for some guys and it didn't for others. So then we started looking at what else is necessary to have an erection. And we started noticing that lots of men over the age of, of 40 had a lot of prolactin in them. We started scratching our heads. Wait, men don't press feet. Where's the prolactin coming from? Well, the prolactin's coming from having too much estrogen because most men over 40, 45 have more estrogen in them than their wives do. <clears throat> so the, whenever there's an elevation in, in estrogen, there's an elevation in prolactin. The two go together. But prolactin is an antagonist to dopamine. Uh-oh, okay, there's the key. Dopamine causes passion. You know, uh, uh, the, I tell the story that anyone who's ever been, especially in an old-fashioned, back when I went to school, back in the uh, 70s and 80s. If you walked into a Parkinson's ward in a hospital where they were giving the patients dopamine, you'd see all these 70, 80-year-old women trying to seduce the male nurses. And, 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 and you'd see all the, all the 70, 80-year-old men walking around in their hospital gowns with huge erections because the, the dopamine gave them the, made them horny as hell. And that's the function of dopamine. When you're, when you're a teenager and you see a pretty girl in a bikini walk by and you get a boner, bang, that's dopamine. That's partially testosterone, but it's mainly dopamine. Hmm. Okay, so the, the, the dopamine is the, is the hormone of desire. Okay, so then we put that component in. Uh, when they were figuring out how to bring more blood supply to uh, the brains of Alzheimer's patients, they hit upon the fact that, that PDE5 kills nitric oxide. So they wanted to open up the blood vessels of Alzheimer's patients and get more blood in. So they developed drugs like Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, thinking that they'd use it on Alzheimer's patients. Well, they put it in, they tested it with the Alzheimer's patients, and these, got, these guys all got really good erections. And they said, hey, wait a minute, there's more money in this than there is treating Alzheimer's patients. So they, they switched gears. They've just recently gone back to, to giving that stuff to Alzheimer's patients. But, uh, so then we got on, on, on the fact that we needed not only the nitric oxide, uh, which promotes vasodilation, which brings the blood into the corpus cavernosum and the corpus spongiosum of the penis, 
we hit up upon the fact that again after 27 or, or actually Charles Polkman, the, the famous strength coach, said that that 31 is the new 50. So sometime after 30, 35 or so, we start making a lot of PDE5. So that by the time you're 45, 50, you're making so much PDE5 that you can't get an erection because you don't have any. You, you've got hardly any nitric oxide. Now, nitric oxide has a half-life of maybe 30 seconds. When you have a lot of PDE5, it has a half-life of maybe three seconds. So what if you put in the PDE5 inhibitors and give the nitric oxide a half-life of three minutes? Wow. Then all of a sudden, you know, the, the world just opens up. So it's been piecemeal. We put together all these things thinking that, thinking that we had the key, and each key turned out to be not a complete step, but a step towards the next step. And we put all these four steps together, and we've come up with a way of getting just about anyone to have an erection, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> right, yeah, like nothing's as simple as just one single thing. How many of these functions are the same for women? I mean, not everyone knows this, but they have erectile tissue as well. That's oh, gosh, yes. Thing. So how, how do these different hormones and uh, molecules work for women? Would you say it's much the same thing, or do we have some It is. It is exactly the same thing, but if you've ever seen the picture of the two stereo components, one stereo component is marked male. It's got one light and one switch. The other stereo component is marked female. It's got a dozen lights and ten switches. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, the, the, uh, the, the, I give you an example. My, male, my, my men's book, Maximum Male Performance, is 80 pages long. Mm-hmm. The women's book that, that it's on its third revision is 400 pages long. <laughs> yeah. There's so much to do in getting a gal's hormones right. It, it will, that, that it, it, it's, it, it, it's practically impossible to do it right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. some guys, some docs get, get, get pretty darn close. But usually, after the first child or after 35, a gal becomes estrogen dominant. She has a lot of prolactin, especially after she's given birth. She's got no testosterone. She's got no progesterone. She has no desire. It's don't touch me, get away from me. I don't, you, you did this to me. I don't want to do this again. Mm-hmm. And uh, her sex life goes right out the window, and they will admit it to you. I don't want to anymore. Yeah, I was really horny two years ago. Then we had the baby, and, and all of a sudden, I, I can't even think of sex. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the fluctuation in the hormones. With, with gals, it happens a lot sooner than with guys. With guys, most of this tends to gradually set in somewhere after 35, so that by the time we hit andropause at 45 or 50, it's completely set in. But with women, it, it, like I said, it usually happens either after the first child, certainly after the second, or by 35 if they don't have kids. Okay. Uh, that brings up an interesting subject. So for women with the a lot more complex hormones, that's uh, one thing I've been reading about researching lately based on hearing uh, some women uh, getting great results with our pine pollen, and especially even the pine pollen tincture, which originally when I heard about it, it being an androgenic substance was only recommended for women, for men. But mm-hmm. women are getting great results, and you just mentioned that you know, a lot of these women, their testosterone is down the tube. So uh, yep. do you recommend testosterone supplementation for many women? Oh, gosh, yes, even testosterone implants. Uh, yeah. I've, I've seen gals who are in their mid to late 60s who have chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia. Uh, and I'm thinking of one gal in particular here, but she, she's the sterling example. Uh, other patients were 
were like her. She had horses she couldn't tend to. She couldn't care less. She would whatever. She went to an anti-aging doc, got her testosterone implants, got her progesterone elevated. Uh, they, 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 they worked to bring down her estrogen. And she, all of a sudden, she was raping her husband and cleaning, <laughs> uh, cleaning the, uh, the, the horse stalls by herself. She had the energy. She had the power. She had, she had the wherewithal. She said she was, she was 20 years old all over again. So yes, yeah. women need testosterone. Women desperately need testosterone, but we also need to uh, get rid of the prolactin, and we need to lower their estrogen levels. Estrogen mm-hmm. levels need to be typically in the in the in the single to low double digit range. I have dealt with women who have four digit test uh, four digit estrogen levels and zero digit progesterone levels, and not only. Are they the most difficult women to deal with? But they are bitchy as hell. <laughs> yeah. Not a they, they, not a kind word will ever come out of those gals' mouths because mm-hmm. they, 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 their hormones won't let them. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's very fascinating stuff. So I'm uh, curious. Uh, besides the enzymes we've talked about, what are some of your favorite uh, herbal supplements? As oh well, gosh! You know, there's other supplements. <laughs> I know. I've, 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 I've got a bunch of f- favorite herbs, and looking over your products, you got a bunch of them in, uh, of, uh, of my favorite herbs in, in your in your products. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, years ago, I tried putting together the uh, Shizandra, the the uh, honey goat weed, the uh, uh, Polygonati multiflorum, uh, maca, mm-hmm. and and a few other things into a, into a Chinese medicine concoction. People almost choked. <laughs> it tasted awful. It mixed with vodka, and I let it sit for a year, and yeah, you know, shook it every yeah. day, and whatever. But dang, if it didn't work, nope. <laughs> uh, you know. So uh, the uh, uh, all of the pro testosterone herbs, all of the andro- uh, uh, androgenic herbs, are wonderful. All of the herbs, like the chrysin uh, 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 and uh, oh mm-hmm. gosh. I, uh, the Pygium africanus and the other herbs that control estrogen, that lower estrogen levels, which also lowers prolactin levels, are wonderful. The mucana is wonderful for elevating dopamine, which again lowers prolactin. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, there are, are a bunch of herbs out there that uh, are fantastic, both for anti-aging and for athleticism and for giving you back energy. Now, <clears throat> I have noticed over the years... I've, I've been at this crazy game now. Uh, uh, see, I got my naturopathic degree in, in 81, so I've been at this for over 30 years. Uh, I was in sports med before that. I've noticed that all the Western herbs are yang, no, excuse me, yin herbs. In Western mm-hmm. herbology, there, there, there seem to be only yin herbs. All the herbs are what we would call in, uh, in Chinese medicine feminine herbs, and they're, they're, they're meant to mollify, they're meant to do this. Even the herbs like, like Vitex that are supposed to create progesterone really don't when you feed that to a patient and you take their, take their blood tests and do whatever, and you check for progesterone, you're only making estrogen. Mm-hmm. done that with enough patients that, that I know now that the Vitex does not work. But the, uh, 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 oh, hell, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, uh, when we combine what's known in Western herbology with uh, Indian and Chinese herbology, all of a sudden the world opens up. Mm-hmm. Because they have yang herbs that we can combine with the yin herbs to balance things off and make a preparation that, 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 that will act like, 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 like rocket fuel without making you burn out. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's it's definitely fascinating just seeing the different, you know, medicine systems from around the world and uh, all the different herbs in them. And that's a great thing about today. We can, you know, take an herb from China and one from India and one from down in Brazil and a Western herb and put it all together. And like I said, it can be rocket fuel. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. You know, some of those Brazilian herbs are really amazing. Holy yeah. cow. <laughs> Yep. Gosh, I like it. It's, it's so much fun to uh, try this stuff out, isn't it? It is. You know, and, and <clears throat> years ago, I remember first learning about a a particular herb. Don't even remember what it what it was now because I stopped trying it. Uh, but we got as many samples from uh, raw material suppliers as we could find, and I was trying. I was eating this stuff by the tablespoon. It's like six, seven tablespoons a day, and nothing happened. And I went, so what's the fuss about this thing? So we. We dropped the use of that, then found an, another herb that I tried, and a few slices here and there, and then make a tincture, and wow, that works well. So experimenting gets to be really fun. Yep. And that's the thing. Everyone's individual, and because it's all these complex parts that we've talked about, you know, one hormone can be too high, another one's too low, so you have to find out individually what's going to work well for exactly. you. And, yeah, obviously doing the testing and all that, talking to a knowledgeable doctor is going to be a big help along those lines. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. All right. So I, we could definitely keep going on, and maybe in the future I can have you back on, and we can go into I'd more detail in different areas. But, love uh, to come back. I, yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, can you tell people where they can find out more about you? You mentioned your book or your books, as well as you have that the line of supplements as well with the great herbs and the enzymes. Our supplements can be found at docsprefer.com. D-O-C-S-P-R-E-F-E-R. Docsprefer. Dot com. Uh, <clears throat> my, my, my rantings and ravings and lectures can be listened to at drwongradio.com, D-R-W-O-N-G radio.com. And if you go to drwong.us, D-R-W-O-N-G dot U is in United, S is in States, you'll uh, see the, the, uh, there are about 50, 60 articles on there on all sorts of different uh, topics in health. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Wong. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on board. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for listening.